0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Canadian jazz saxophonist, composer, and producer Johnny Griffith. He is a multi-Juno Award-nominated musician who has played and recorded with many artists over his career, like Don Thompson, Jeremy Pelt, Ernesto Cervini's Toontown, Charlie Hunter, and many others. He got a lot of exposure early on as a member of the popular Canadian funk hip-hop group known as the Pocket Dwellers. Over the years, he has toured extensively across Canada, the United States, and Europe. We talked with him about his career and his newest 2019 CD, The Lion, Camel, and Child. So get to know him and dig this interview, my friends.
1: So, Johnny, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it. Uh, No problem. So let's start off with your latest CD, "The Lion, the Camel, and Child." It's a great album, and I want to know from you what was your vision, your artistic vision with this release?
2: With the quintet, I always just the first thing I always do is just remember that it's a bunch of friends that uh, you know I like playing with. So I start writing the tunes, and then um, with that in mind. But with this one, I, I, I wrote uh, the, the second tune, "The Camel." Then I started thinking a whole bunch about titles and everything. And at the time, I was, well, I just, I'm in my 40s now. And I sort of started thinking about uh, midlife stuff. Anyway, I've been reading Nietzsche and some philosophers. And and then uh, after writing The Camel, I, 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 you know, it, it sounded kind of Middle Eastern. So I thought, hey, well, that's a good name. And then I thought, well, you know what? I think I'm going to write a suite about this. So that sort of gave me the idea to try to come up with a suite, and plus, I've always wanted to write a suite, so it just, I guess it all kind of worked out.
1: I'm yeah. in that same place. I'm in my mid-40s right now, so it's probably safe to say that you're probing into some pretty deep questions in this midlife day. <laughs> That's right.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've been, uh, besides that, this is way off topic, but I've been noticing that I've been watching movies from the 80s a lot. I've been watching a lot of Drew Barrymore movies, and I think that might have something to do with the, the like, yeah. I don't know, but, uh, well, yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) There you go. And you know, I always seem to kind of go back into that '80s mode. I've been watching The Goldbergs lately, and it's like all of that nostalgia, all of that time period. And now that we're old enough, we have this decade in between both of those, or several, I I guess I should say, where we can have some level of relativity of like, what the hell happened? (laughs) How did we? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, were you born and raised in Toronto? I was born in a, in a, a
2: south a little small town outside of Winnipeg in the in the, in the prairies in
1: in Canada, but I moved here when I was very young. So I was uh, I was raised in Toronto. What got you into music, and what were some early jazz albums that got you into jazz?
2: Well, oh, that's a good question. The first uh, album that really what got me into music was movies. I remember the first time I noticed music was seeing uh, Empire Strikes Back. And, you know, really being aware of music. And I started taking piano lessons almost immediately after that. But I didn't start saxophone until I was about 10 or 11. And, uh, at that time it was just band music, you know, from the, from the school, you know, concert band type stuff. But then I guess when I was about 15 I had a private teacher and he played me, um, cannonball Adderley solo on, uh, um, on uh, Milestones, that's when things changed. That's when I said, oh, that's what I want to do. That's probably, that that quintet, the you know, the Miles Quintet, that was my first, I guess probably like a lot of people, first real introduction to jazz. But then, yep, spiraled out of control after that and got into all kinds of different stuff. Yeah, that's
1: how it happened. It's funny you mentioned Empire Strikes Back, and i got to detour real quick and tell you. You know, I've been doing this for eight years, you know, almost mm-hmm. 700 interviews, and I've talked to folks like Jimmy Heath and Sonny Rollins and Lonnie Smith, and I always think about these guys, especially the jazz elders, are the ones that have the most wisdom on this planet, and I imagine that they're the Jazz Jedi Council in Cloud City, <laughs> they're sitting at this big, ornate future structure with all their instruments strewn, and they're just dictating what we're doing down below. You know. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's always been my visual. I mean, that needs to be like the futuristic Norman Rockwell painting right there. So yeah, that'd um, be great. Yeah, it would be in velvet and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so let me get into your life. Did, when you were a kid, sure. did you say I'm going to be a musician? How did all of that happen?
2: I don't think I ever made a conscious decision. But the funny thing was, is I remember when I was going, when I was uh, about to, you know, finishing high school and going off to university, and I remember thinking, being kind of scared to tell my parents, you know, hey, I want to go to a, as I went to a college uh, that they, they, you know, I figured they'd want me to go to university and study, I don't know, to become a businessman or something. But I remember being scared, and then I remember finally telling them, and then they they were not surprised at all. They, they said, yeah, we sort of, we kind of knew that was going to happen. Like, what, you know, why didn't you think it was, you know, why are you surprised it, you know? We didn't know. So I don't think it was it's been such a big part of my life too well pretty much ever since I ever since I can remember. Yeah, there's no conscious decision, it just kinda
1: happens. As performing has become a part of your life, you've had the chance to perform with people like Jeremy Pelt and mm-hmm. there's been so many others uh, along yeah. the way. Al Henderson with his quintet. So my question to you is this, what have you learned and your growth as a musician by being around veteran players that have been around quite a while? That's also a good question. Really, I guess
2: the thing I've learned that's stuck with me is that uh, don't worry about it. That's sort of, a—I guess, the older guys keep telling me, you know. I don't know how to explain that other than it's just music, you know. You're supposed to have fun. I think that's what I get from those guys. You know, I'm busy worried about, you know, how am I going to get this album out? How am I going to book these gigs, all this stuff? And, you know, do I sound good enough? You know, I got to keep practicing these guys beside me, these younger guys that I'm teaching all sound great. You know, I got to keep working. And then from working with the other the old guys, it's just kind of like, yeah, don't worry about it. Just let's, uh, let's play music and have some fun. So I think that's the most important thing that I've learned from those guys.
1: The other part of you, when, when you're in jazz, you tend to get pigeonholed, but a lot of musicians do other things. They compose, and they're in different genres. And the one thing you're involved with is a funk hip-hop group called the Pocket Dwellers. Talk to me about that alter ego.
2: Oh, yeah. that's how I, that, that was my first real... Uh, that came right out of college. That band was formed when we were all in college. And I guess we spent about close to 10 or 12 years just living on the road, touring with that band. So that was where I got my uh, feet wet with the traveling and finding out what it's like to be a traveling musician. Um, but that was great because those are, you know, seven guys that are closer than, you know, their family. There's, you know, you can't describe them any other way. Same thing. I had a blast and I guess I learned a little bit of the business and working with them because it was more image conscious. I remember they did yell at me because I'm not a dirty guy, but I, I didn't. I wasn't worried about what kind of sneakers I was wearing and that sort of thing too often. And they said, well, you know, you're going on stage with this person today, you know, you've got to look your best. So <laughs> I guess they taught me to, to sort of clean myself up a little bit, and, <laughs> but uh, just have a good time. And once again, just now that I'm thinking about it, I had a pretty good 20, you know, when I was in my 20s, pretty good time.
1: Just everything, yeah. Have a good time. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. That's the mantra in your 20s for sure. Early on when you were getting into jazz, what early jazz shows did you see? I mean, education is one thing to be in a classroom. It's another thing to perform. But when you get to witness that firsthand, that's huge. What early jazz shows really swayed you? Uh, One of the biggest
2: ones that comes to mind was seeing Pat LaBarda play. He used to play with Alvin Jones and um, um, Buddy Ritz. And I saw him play, and of course he lives in Toronto, so I've seen him many times since then. But when I was young, that was probably one of the first big ones. Most, most of the shows I've really enjoyed are, are the local musicians in Toronto. We've got such a good scene up here. But then, of course, when Joe Henderson came up, I've seen him He's my all-time favorite, so I, I get, got to see him two times. I wish I got to see him more, but only twice. And that was a fantastic show. I remember seeing that one, and he played record of me first, and just in the very you know, little break, he did a, one of his little Joe Henderson saxophone glisses, and I remember just thinking, holy crap, this, that's Joe Henderson. That's <laughs> definitely him. <laughs> yeah. and those are the only ones that just jump into
1: mind right away. So if yeah. you could get into a, we're going to go to the 80s here, to the Jazz DeLorean. You hop in, punch in the digits. Where are you sure. going? Who are you going to see?
2: I want to see uh, Joe Anderson's uh, band, the Live at the Lighthouse Band. I'd love to go see that. And uh, there is also, uh, I think it's under Lee Morgan's name, but it was a, a band with Sir Lee Morgan and uh, Harold Mayburn and uh, Benny Mopin that I would have loved to see. Probably Cannonball, uh, even though I still I haven't played too much also, I've been playing Cannon a lot, but also still. It was my first horn, so I'd like to go see Cannibal. There's a ton, but uh, those are the. Oh, John Handy at uh, with Don Thompson and Clark Terry at uh, uh, what was that festival Monterey? That one I'd like to see that live too.
1: So, yeah, would be my, my favorite picks. Right on. So, why do you love jazz? Um, well,
2: because it's, there's many reasons, but I think well, I'll get a little personal here. I'm a pretty quiet person, don't, you know, not a very outgoing guy. So uh, I think what appeals to me about jazz is that's my sort of way to communicate how I feel at that time. And it's very social uh, music, you know, you're communicating musically with your friends. So once again, for somebody that's Generally, I'm a fairly quiet guy, like you I, like I said. So I think that's what it feels it for me. It's an easy way for me to communicate with other people and not worry about stumbling over my words like I just did.
1: <laughs> cool. So mm-hmm. everything is going to come down to this final question to get kind of the essence of you. Everyone has a version or an interpretation of you, your family, your friends, and your mm-hmm. fans, but you know who you are best. Who do you think you are?
2: <laughs>
1: uh. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, I, think, I don't know. Uh.
2: Uh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think I'm still just basically you know, a little kid watching Empire Strikes Back and uh, dreaming of playing music forever and doing. <laughs> what's, a, what's a terrible answer. But I just I still think I'm a kid at heart, and I want to just keep learning stuff. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a lifelong journey for sure. That's great. Yeah. And that right there, you're off the hot seat. Johnny, thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz to talk about the new album, your life and music. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks very much. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Toronto, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Johnny for his time, his music, and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe D'Amino on the iTunes Store. Visit neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.